0: How's it going today, guys? We're back here live in the studio for the episode of Hot Takes with TP3. Once again, I'm your host, Thomas Penland, coming to you live on Wednesday, November 8th, 2022. I am joined by Ben Gorwitz. Ben, are you doing okay, my brother?
1: Yeah, you know, football team lost, second game, um, you know, season's over, but I had a uh, I was a groomsman at one of my childhood best friends' um, wedding. That was a lot of fun. Really didn't watch a second of the Alabama game. Um, I saw a couple couple plays on Gamecast in the first quarter um, when the father of the bride was giving his speech. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, I saw someone had their phone out, saw it there, got home from the wedding at the start of overtime. But, you know, the, I, the, my, my 2020 vision wasn't so 2020 at that point. Um, so yeah, I mean, listen, it happens. We move on. Um, still gotta finish the season strong and uh gotta keep the guys committed.
0: Yeah. Um look, guys, that's why I love doing podcasts with Ben because even though he is frustrated with things that happen to his team, he's still more than willing to talk about them. I promise you guys we'll talk about this game plenty on the second half. Um, I did get Absolutely obliterated at um while watching my Florida State Seminoles destroy Miami, it felt very good, and then I can't lie, I may or may not have fallen asleep drunk on the couch. Turned over, (laughs) I actually fell asleep at the start of overtime and I woke up at like four o'clock in the morning and I was like, What happened? Did Alabama lose? So, definitely, it was one of those kind of nights, you know, man. But uh. Hey, let's uh, we're gonna start things out though, guys. We're basically me and Ben's observations. Ben didn't get to watch too much college football, but I got us covered on college football and then NFL as well. We got a lot of observations, so we'll start things out in the NFL. Then we're gonna go to college football observations. And last but not least, we're gonna give you all our new playoffs since um, both our I mean, I don't think I have a single team I predicted to go to the playoff. Le- I guess I have Ohio State left. Ben, you had Georgia in your playoff, right?
1: And Ohio State.
0: Yeah, your I think yours was yours was what Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, and Utah. Utah. Hey, I still don't feel that bad about the Utah. Yeah, I had Utah. Um, I may or may not have had Miami in mind. I don't know what was wrong with me at the time. And then I had a, uh, and then I had Alabama and uh, Ohio State. So you know, it's I'm in about the same boat Ben is right now. Um, anyway, let's get down to it. Look, Ben, my first observation I took away sitting there watching Sunday night football. And, you know, I went to sleep on it. I woke up the next day. I'm ready to say it. This is going to be in a, it's cold hot takes with TP three for a reason. Mike Vrabel is the modern bill Belichick of the NFL. I'm taking him over every single coach in the NFL right now. And look, I think I have the reasoning to back it up here. He won back-to-back games with his quarterback being Malik Willis, completing under 10 passes. And on top of him completing under 10 passes, guys, Malik Willis did not even break 100 yards passing in either game. I mean, even go back to last year, Ben, not only did Vrabel beat handily both Kansas City and Buffalo last year in the regular season, but he did it without Derrick Henry. Then he got the number one seed. I mean, he has underperformed in the playoffs, but in the regular season, man, Mike Vrabel puts his team in the playoffs every single year, and he wins no matter what he has out there. What do you think?
1: I don't disagree. Um, there were seven coaches hired in 2018. One of them was obviously Mike Vrabel. Steve Wilkes was hired by Arizona. He was fired. Matt Nagy was hired by Chicago. He was fired. Matt Patricia by Detroit, fired. Frank Wright by the Colts, fired. Pat Shermer for the Giants, fired. John Gruden for the Las Vegas Raiders, fired. What has Mike Vrabel done since then? Four straight winning seasons, three playoff appearances, two AFC South champions. like you know, he won his division. Yeah, it's incredible. Now, the division might not be the best, but he's winning it. He's the best of, he's the best of the best in that division. He's the most consistent. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I is he the is he the best coach in the NFL? I mean, I don't know about that, but he's he's certainly one of the most consistent ones. He's he's got a long way to go, but he it almost feels like he could do the Tomlin path where he just doesn't have a losing season ever. So mm-hmm. Tomlin, obviously, that's going to be no longer a thing, or that is no longer a thing. And it's really rough this year, but you know, he said it best, Mike Vrabel. He goes, listen, I've won a lot of games with Derrick Henry. Uh, He knows why he's winning games, but it's one of those teams. Like it's like a big 10 team, not, not counting Ohio state. It's like Michigan, you know, they're running the football and you still can't stop it. And he's going to force you to stop it before he's ever going to change I want to see him with like a dynamic quarterback. And I'm not saying Malik Willis can't turn into that guy, but as of right now, he's not even close to that guy, right? He's kind of had the, who was before Tannehill there? Or did he start with Tannehill there?
0: It was from, remember it was Mariota and then Mariota hurt and then Tannehill came in. And so never he's
1: never really out. had like, an, I mean, T- Tannehill, don't get me wrong, is above average, but he's not like a next level quarterback. I want to see him with like a next level type of quarterback to really see his team flourish. Because I think that's the main issue that he's run into in the playoffs. He doesn't have Mm -hmm. a quarterback that can just take his team to the next level. Obviously, Derrick Henry can, but you need more. You got to throw the football.
0: See, that's what I think makes it even better. And that was the part that I even forgot to put in there. He's done this with, I mean, Tannehill was literally thrown in the scrap heap by Miami. I mean, Mariota, don't get me wrong, he can run the ball, but we all know what Mariota looks like passing the ball. I mean, Malik Willis can't pass the ball. The fact that he's able to do what he does with these teams and these quarterbacks absolutely insane. I just think Vrabel deserves a ton of credit, and I think this guy really is the modern Bill Belichick. I mean, I would the, love Titans,
1: the Titans' defense have also played the best defense against Patrick Mahomes in the past two seasons,
0: mm-hmm. and against Josh Allen, they know how to do it. That's and that's him coaching it up too. He's a defensive it's guy, physical. so
1: the trenches they win the trenches almost every single game.
0: Exactly, and that's because it's all what their head coach instills in them. I mean, and know Taylor pro-
1: Lewan, who's like an all pro lineman.
0: Yeah. And the front office doesn't, I mean, literally what you need in the, I mean, there's probably five wide receivers that are game changers in the way that AJ Brown is and Tennessee had one of those guys and they gave him up and look what he still does without him. I mean, look at their wide receivers. Now that's the other part. I didn't even mention AJ Brown is more receiving yards than their entire receiving core.
1: They could have beaten the chiefs and their wide receivers ended the game without a single reception.
0: It's absolutely insane. By the way, you held a gun to my head and told me to name four Titans wide receivers on their roster or <laughs> else I'd be dead. And I couldn't use Treylon Burks. So I think I'd be dead.
1: <laughs> I got Robert Woods.
0: Actually, I think I could actually, but we'll say that I for another day. <laughs> I couldn't, <laughs> I don't even want to tell you how, but I actually think I could, but anyway, um, let's keep moving down the list here. Next one. Look, Ben. There's it's so Bill Simmons does for his podcast when he talks about NBA, he calls it his league pass teams or teams that he would want to watch that'll be interesting on NBA league pass. I have these teams on my uh NFL Sunday ticket unwatchable list the Rams, Buccaneers, yep. and Packers. And the yep. worst part about it, guys, is these teams are just going to be force fed to us on primetime. I technically Saints consider too. America's game of the week a primetime yet. Yeah. Oh my gosh, the Saints are absolute dumpster poverty. Um, but these teams, guys, well, they're either going to be America's game of the week or in primetime games for pretty much the rest of the season, so we're completely screwed on that end. But, Ben, these teams are awful, and it is really hard to watch. I mean, Brady I w- Brady has no offensive line, so I'll give him a pass. I'm not going to blame it on him. I'm just going to blame it on the Bucks. I mean, we've talked about Todd Bulls on here. We know he's an idiot. The Rams have no offensive line whatsoever, and the Packers just completely suck. I mean, I can't watch these teams play football anymore.
1: Yeah, um, I can't done betting on the Packers. Um, can't bet the Bucs. Can't bet the Raiders. We're at the point of the year where I, I can't bet a third of the league. So um, it, I don't know how you back any of these teams. So uh, my last week or last week, I said, one more time, I'll do it with the, uh, the Packers. Knowing that the Lions have covered five straight in Detroit against the Packers. I said, one more, can Rogers and LaFleur really lose five in a row? They said, hold my beer. Cause they just lost <laughs> five in a row. It's, it, they're so bad. It, and I know that we can rip Rogers all we want. Everyone can rip Rogers, his receivers. None of them should be on the roster next year because I mean, none of them. I mean, I guess the rookies, you, you want to give them another chance, but like we we've seen what we're getting out of Alan Lazard. He's terrible. He can't play with Aaron Rodgers. Tunyon was like great year one. He's not even a factor anymore, really. So I don't know what it is. I, mean, I do know what it is. They, they refuse to get Aaron Rodgers help. And, uh, we'll see what he does. I mean, he, no one, I'm not even going to try to guess if he's going to play on his contract or retire. Um, the, the, they have a top 10 pick right now. And is anyone confident they're going to going to get a receiver? Cause probably not right. They haven't nah, ever I think done. They're going
0: to use it on a quarterback.
1: <laughs> they probably will.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, using using that uh first round pick on uh Jordan love instead of Justin Jefferson really turned out well for them. Yeah. Um, yeah, Next one up here for us, look, I just said a bit of stat, NFL games have gone under, 60% of the games this season have gone under, but these games are tough to watch, man. The NFL needs to call more penalties and make it higher scoring again. Look, I think the game was way too weighted in favor of the offense, and I know we're sitting here complaining about it, and when you think about it more, I mean, it's pretty hard to, to weight the games one way or another, you know what I mean? But I just feel like the NFL's product has gone downhill this year. Like I've seen a lot of people complaining about it. I wanted to wait a couple of weeks because I've seen in the past, like I remember there's been a couple of years where that like the first, like over the first like four or five weeks of the season, it'll go under over 60% of the games. And like the the next 60% of the games will go over. You know what I mean? I was waiting for kind of that to happen, but it hasn't happened. And there's been so many just clips and cutaways on on, uh, like YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok just montages of non-PIs getting called. I know there was a bunch of videos of Sauce Gardner just absolutely abusing Gabe Davis and them calling nothing on him. I mean, they pulled I, one. the NFL's got to do something about this, man, because, I mean, look, I'm not saying I want to watch 45-42 shootouts, but I like a nice, like, 31-24 football game.
1: Yeah, so we've seen – it's not just in football. Um, we've seen it in baseball. Two years ago, there was an independent investigation – Um, that said that they were tampering with the baseballs after Rob Manfred said they weren't the investigation proved that he was, um, and then the next year, all of a sudden offense shot up. And then Mm -hmm. this year, for the most part, this year, offense was down again, outside of obviously Aaron judge setting a record in home runs. And, um, but again, home runs were down and, and, the sport just continues to change. There's no doubt in my mind. The football has changed something. I don't know what it is. Probably, like you mentioned, the way that they're telling the referees to call the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be surprised me if there was like an investigation um, that happened where they found something. People they tamper with the sport all the time. They they uh, they tinker with it and, and to try to make it better. And, and usually, when you make changes in in life um, or in a sport, usually they're more negative before they get more positive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, it's kind of like if you were trying to lose weight, you change your diet. You might not feel great when you start eating more healthy, but eventually the, the you'll, you you know, if you stay with it, the results will come. So we'll see. I, I think they tinker a lot. I think they're just trying to find the right tinker, mm-hmm. um, to, to, to try to get it more even, but I, yeah, I mean, scoring is way down.
0: Yeah, I mean, I hate to be that guy and complain about it because you know I was probably the same guy that was complaining that it was impossible to play defense when that it was high scoring. But it, I mean, everybody is. Let's be honest. But I don't it's know. It's tough I,
1: to just. It's like if you have like a ten play card in the NFL, it's tough to convince yourself to have six or seven unders. But you almost have to do it right now with, with the with the clip that they're hitting. I did, ask especially that. in prime time games. Yeah, in prime time overs, you've got to be down so much money this year.
0: Yeah, prime time the underdogs and the it's the underdogs and the unders man they correlate too but yeah no I honestly have been I think I've only bet like maybe two or three totals the entire season so I've mostly just been picking sides but um it pains me to say this one Ben I thought it was over after last week but it is not over the Falcons curse lives on um double that- fumble Absolutely unreal. I don't know how he coughed that one up. I mean, did he have some, like, did he have butter on his gloves or something? He's just not
1: used. Players like that aren't used to having the ball in their hands and running.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I'm thinking every team should implement at the end of each practice, have all of their guys that aren't normally touching the football. Just run 20 yards. You don't have to run the length of the field. Just run Mm -hmm. 20 yards with the ball in your hand, with someone trying to swat it out from behind. Um, I mean... So he ran it back to what? Like almost the 50-yard line?
0: Yeah, it was like in that 40-50 range.
1: I still don't have the confidence the Falcons could move the ball another 15 yards to get in uh, for our kicker's range because he's not great from 50-plus. He he missed a 50-yarder yep. um, in the game. But inside 50, he's really good. But it would have been nice to at least have the chance in overtime.
0: Yeah, I would love to see the stat on Ku's field goals missed in games where that is – where him making or missing like where that his kicking would have mattered if we win or lose the game or not because i swear to god he makes all the field goals in the games that don't matter but in the games where we need him <laughs> the most he misses them i swear i would love to see the stat i could be i could just be me being an angry falcons fan um next observation here guys y'all know we couldn't let it go unnoticed josh allen loses in an embarrassing way to the uh to the jets That's- look ben I think, honestly, this was the best thing that could have happened to Buffalo. You know, I feel like the Buffalo is kind of like, they're almost like a team, you know, that rests their star players on a lot of nights and takes nights off and picks and chooses when they want to play. And I honestly think that's kind of what Buffalo did. I think they watched this bad Patriots team beat up on the Jets last week, and they said, hey, we can come out here and play our C game and get out of here with a win. And the Jets came out scrappy, man, and they gave them everything they had and ended up winning the game. Think Josh Allen also too uh, wants to make the big play a little bit too much and doesn't take yeah. the la- you No, know, he wants to make he wants to hit the three pointers when he can just drive in and make the layup. You know, and I think he needs to do that a little bit more, but. Ultimately, I think this is the best thing that could happen to Buffalo, you know. A losing a regular season game or two will get your head right, you know, get you locked back in and focused rather than, you know, looking ahead. I think they just got a little lazy and lackadaisical. I mean, it happens when you're the MVP favorite and everybody's talking about how you just blow the doors off everybody and nobody's gonna beat you. You know, you just beat the Chiefs a couple of weeks ago. Like it's the type of things that happens, but I think this is a good wake up call for Buffalo. It's so the, the only guys.
1: the only asterisk is he might have an elbow injury um mm-hmm. he got hit with one of the last plays of the game he was holding his elbow threw a couple of passes short in that late fourth quarter uh he's still getting it checked out um i think his, he was getting the second checkup on it today i haven't seen the results of it i'm sure he's fine but have you noticed like teams like um i guess it's just the chiefs and bills in my head i'm, I'm sure there's more teams it feels like they just run the football just to give Mahomes and Allen's right arm just a one one play of rest. It seems like they don't run the ball with purpose. Like Mahomes mm-hmm. on on um Sunday night threw the ball like, what do you throw it, 63 times or f- something like that? Obviously he's capable of yeah. doing it, but like these teams have zero run game. And I'm curious, like, I don't know if that's a Super Bowl winning formula, even though the quarterbacks are capable of it. Josh Allen, I would imagine, is his team's leading rusher for another season, which it's pretty much been since he's been there. I don't know if they need, like, new run game coordinators, but they really do need to find more balance, I I think, especially if Josh Allen's elbow is not going to be 100%.
0: No, that is for sure. And, I mean, when they brought in Ken Dorsey, all the preseason quotes, I don't know if you remember me talking about it on the podcast or not, was that Doug McDermott was saying that they want to get back to ground and pound because, I mean, that's realistically what They're Doug McDermott likes <laughs> is he likes to ground and pound and win through his defense. But it's just the way that Josh Allen and them play, man. I guess just the offensive line is probably more a pass-blocking offensive line. I in don't know how game. to – to, uh, I'm not like an X's and O's guy, so I'm not as good at, like, analyzing a line like that. But I think that's what it has to be. But I agree with you, though. I think to win in more in the, I think in the regular season that running the ball is the way to go but obviously in the playoffs if you want to win games and come from behind cuz odds are in the playoffs you're going to have to come from behind and one you got to have an explosive pl- passing game. And I mean we've seen Kansas City win the Super Bowl without a great run attack so I, I thought was that was ways. also
1: I thought that was one of the first games where you can say that the Chiefs did kind of miss Tyreek Hill
0: no, I agree with you. I think they definitely do miss like that offensive. I mean, at the just end of the down day, just the downfield threat. I don't know mm-hmm. why me,
1: Cole Hardman can't do it, but he's not Tyreek Hill.
0: Yeah, and I honestly, I mean, this goes back to Brable, man. I mean, you even saw him touching on Collinsworth and company touching on it all night. Their entire game plan was, they were, I mean, they would have three people on Travis Kelsey on the big downs. You know what I mean? Like, they were like, look, you can beat us, but you're going to have to throw to Juju Smith-Schuster. You're going to have to throw to the running backs. You're going to have to throw to Meikle Hart. Yeah, exactly. You're going to have to throw to anybody but Travis Kelsey in order to beat us, and I'm assuming we'll see more teams try to do that as well. Um, Next one up. I mean, Ben, after watching the NFC play a couple games this week or over the last couple weeks, I'm ready to go ahead and say it. My top top teams in the NFC, I got the Eagles, the 49ers, then in my next tier – I don't even think they belong this tier, but I'll put the Vikings in there. But ahead of the Vikings, I'm going with the Seahawks, man. I've got the Seahawks, as the third best team in the NFC right now. This defense, Pete Carroll found something with all these rookies they had. I mean, you could argue the Seahawks possibly had the best draft with all the players that they've added. But this Seahawks offense, Kenneth Walker, I think, is an emerging superstar at the running back position in the NFL. I mean, you got Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf with Geno, who's balling out. I think the Seahawks are the third best team in the NFL, and I would take them to beat any team besides those first two, I said.
1: Um who's your second team?
0: Um the 49ers. I know they're not record yeah. well, I know they're not even first place in their division, but I just I mean I think they're the best four and four team I've ever seen or five my and four o- team or whatever they are.
1: My only um the my only team that I that would put probably put in there is the Cowboys because I think their defense can really just carry them. Um, and they're really talented on offense. I mean, if they were able to bring in an Odell Beckham, I think that's another weapon to help their offense. So, when you got a defense like theirs where people just aren't scoring many points on you, um, I I think that that just plays like that. That's that works on the road, that works at home, that can work in the playoffs when you have a pass rush.
0: No, you're 100% right. I mean, rushing the passer is what it comes down to. I mean, Seahawks don't have a bad one though. So,
1: by the way, can the Seahawks. I don't know who said it, offensive coordinators or or Pete Carroll, but they were like, we haven't even unleashed Kenneth Walker yet.
0: Really, I like hearing that as a guy who owns Kenneth Walker in three of his four fantasy leagues. So that is definitely something that I like to hear. Um, All right, a quick
1: question about Geno Smith. Yeah, can you? The answer is yes, uh, according to people who like make the odds and, and vote on it. Do you think you should be able to be a comeback player of the year if you're not like injured? If you were just bad and written off, and then now you're good? Because Geno Smith is now the favorite to be comeback player of the year, but he's just he just went from bad to to good. I, I I'm fine with it, but I've heard some people that should be like, well, you know Saquon because he was coming off injuries, or, or you know someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's an interesting point.
0: Um, I still think he should be able to win comeback player of the year. I think comeback player, in my opinion, you don't have to get injured, in my opinion, to be comeback player of the year. I think you have to like, just
1: come back from something. Yeah, just come back sucking. (laughs)
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly and Gino Smith came back I guess I guess he's more of like a breakout player but I I would consider it a comeback story because I mean this guy literally went from getting his jaw broken and never being heard about again I mean people probably most people if you said name the three teams Geno Smith played for I mean guys like me and you can obviously name it but I don't think most people even know he played for the Chargers so I think Geno Smith definitely is comeback player of the year in my opinion yeah I agree All right, let's see what else we have for NFL. Um, I think that's all. Yeah, that's all we got for NFL. Um, Now we'll come over here to college football. We'll start things off with the first top 10 matchup that we had on uh, Saturday. This one would be Georgia versus Tennessee. Um, So obviously Tennessee lost this game, Ben, but look, I'm not trying to take away from what Georgia did. I thought Georgia was the better team and they played well and they won the game ultimately. One, I thought that Georgia being at home really played to their advantage. Number two, Hinton Hooker definitely had some receivers open on deep throws, and he just straight up missed them. I mean, it was by this much, but they missed them. And I also thought, too, the fact that it started raining hurt Tennessee's passing offense a little bit as well, and they weren't able to uh, air the ball out as much as they would like to. But I thought Georgia's defensive backs played really, really well in the intermediate throws because, I mean, Hinton Hooker was back there with time to throw. It was just those intermediate, you know, like five to seven yard passes. They couldn't really do anything. And Tennessee had no run game. So, I mean, basically it was them just trying to throw the ball deep. And that was just – I felt like those were still the things that really killed them. But I still have Tennessee as a top four team in the college football after everything said and done. I just thought it was a tough road game. And actually, too, I saw a stat. It was like over the last, I think, like three or four seasons when two top ten teams play each other, the home teams won every single time. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a crazy stat.
1: Um, I mean, the only thing I guess I'll really add is I I just don't understand the Stetson Bennett um hate at this point. I just don't understand it. You can say that he's not the most talented guy you've ever seen, whatever. Maybe he's not a Heisman trophy guy. All the all the kid does is win. Like, why are people more obsessed? with how it looks than the actual result. Mm -hmm. So, so what he has a lot of playmakers about him. So, so do all the top teams, right? Why does CJ Stroud get all the credit or like Bryce Young last year, get all the credit for like making everyone else around them better. But Stetson doesn't, is he not making these receivers better? Like sure. There might be four or five star receivers. He's still making great throws to them. Sure. He has like a great offensive line. He still makes the plays like I I get it. If you had if you had um, thoughts of doubt last year after the SEC championship, that's fine. But after the national championship and after this year, I just don't get I just don't get it. I don't get how people can't look at this guy and say that he's just a winner. He knows what to do to win. I, I can't figure it out anymore. People are like, he's not this. He's not this. You want to know what he what you want to know what he is? He's one of the best winners in the damn country. That's what he is. And that's all that matters. Like no. people can say Georgia's defense wins them a lot of games. Stetson Bennett wins them a lot of games. He uses his legs in a smart way. He doesn't throw them any interceptions. He gets the ball to his playmakers. And he all he does is what Georgia asks him to do. I don't understand the hate. And they're still sure. He might not be an NFL guy. Who cares? If he wins another national championship right now, I don't don't really think this is a hot take. But if a Georgia fan thinks this and they're listening to this, contact Thomas or myself if you disagree I want to know why. If he wins another national championship, how is he not the greatest quarterback in Georgia history?
0: I mean, I would probably say he already is the greatest quarterback in Georgia history. I mean, Matthew Stafford lost to Georgia Tech in his heisman campaign year i mean georgia's beaten georgia tech probably in our lifetime i think georgia tech has less than five wins against georgia and i'm 27 years old
1: so i mean boy, i feel like it's gotta be more than that but.
0: yeah that's what i'm saying i don't think they beat them five times like i would be shocked georgia tech was pretty good though in the 90s and the beginning of the 2000s but still though and the two i don't think they beat them in the 2000s i think it was like 2010 was the, or 2009 was the only time they beat them yeah because 2009 cause that was the year when stafford came out but um
1: uh, like in to- every, my point was like in every big game, people are like, mm-hmm. can Stetson do this or can he do that? Or is he going to, all he does is outperform the other quarterback except for in the SEC championship last year, pretty much. There's a couple games you can, you can throw in there. We didn't play well, but I guess the game in Tuscaloosa and then the, um, and then the SEC championship, but for the most part, he's winning big games.
0: I mean, look at all these other teams too, that have, I mean, I'm sure every single wide receiver on, like Miami and on a some I've drawn a blank on Texas A&M Texas A&M's got all five stars look at them they can't do a damn thing with it there's plenty of teams that have all five stars that can't do anything about it you can't say just because he has talent around him I mean
1: we got we got no receivers that can get open
0: yeah we'll get to them in a second we'll get to them in a second um actually yeah actually just kidding Ben you made the perfect segue because that was my next note look I think that is what that Alabama lacks. Uh, first of all, I think I'm going to put some of the blame on Bill O'Brien. Yeah, I think that Nick Stevens secretly is secretly going to call up the USF. Um, I think he's going to call up USF right now and be like, Hey, y'all should take on Bill O'Brien as your new head coach since they just <laughs> recently had a spot come uh, available, but also too, a team that has a bunch of five stars. who can't get the ball to them. Clemson. But um, anyway, I think that Bill O'Brien has some to do with the, Alabama's problems, but also too. When I look at Alabama's receiving core, I mean Julio Jones, Jalen Waddle, um, yeah Calvin Ridley, um, Devonte Smith. I mean, just that's just to name a few of them right there. I don't. The only guy that I see on this roster that is that's a first round pick in the offense, besides Bryce Young, is Jameer Gibbs, and he might not even be a first round pick. I just think that I think Bryce Young is probably one of the most talented coaches that Alabama's had left, but I think that or quarterbacks Alabama's had, but I think they have one of the least talented offenses around him.
1: Yeah. Um, It's, it's hard to disagree. Uh, I mean, Jermaine Burton has been one of the biggest flops you can find out of the transfer portal. Um, Just they can't create separation. I think is the biggest problem. Um, I don't know what it is. They just can't, they haven't figured it out all year. They're not going to figure it out now. Um, Yeah. I, I was telling someone, I'm not going to, I obviously do not know more than Bill O'Brien, but my point in offense is when you have, if your biggest weakness is creating separation, why not run more routes that create separation, meaning crossers Mm -hmm. or like, you know, this is going to be hard because people can't see us, but imagine shotgun, Jameer Gibbs to the right of Bryce Young. You have two receivers on the right side of the field. If they ran a slant to the inside and uh, and a linebacker was responsible for covering Gibbs and Gibbs did a wheel route, well, that linebacker would have to go through the two slant players. Yep. And if you communicate properly, your safety can help. Most college kids don't communicate very well. Those are the, and then you just throw a little swing pass to Gibbs and get him in space. like Or crosser routes where you have to communicate yep. if you're switching. Maybe you run into each other off like a fake pick play. One of those. Any, a, a regular screen pass to a running back, just plays that create separation off the line of scrimmage for yourself. I feel like I was just creating a playbook in Madden right there. Um, instead of just running like a five yard in route or a go route or, uh, you know, a hook, like whatever, if they can't create separation based on their move, speed, acceleration, whatever. Mm-hmm. and help them out I feel like Bama doesn't adjust that at all
0: no I'm 100% with you on that one I think this also is Gibbs
1: war- Jameer Gibbs is like first in the country and like um yards per carry I think and he has like I think he had like less than how many carries did he have like, someone told me he had like 12 carries last week or something let me look it up I have it right here okay he had 15 carries for 99 yards so that's 6.6 so like why are we not Running him the ball more, six point six. I'll take that every time. That's a first down every two plays.
0: Yeah, that is that's just stupid right there. Um, ben, what do you think? Is UGA the new Alabama, where they're about to be the new dynasty and pop off a bunch of wins, or is, is this just been a nice two year run for them and they're still going to have to compete with the big boys?
1: Well, I think it'll be. I do think it'll be a little harder for Georgia because now we, as long as Heupel stays at Tennessee, yeah, like his offense will, will you know provide some challenges. Um, the games where they play in Knoxville will be harder. I think if Florida can get it going, that's that's another challenge. I, they will. I don't know if I see Shane Beamer becoming a threat. I think he can build a decent program at South Carolina. But I do think the East has some programs that are somewhat on the way up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think Kentucky's a nice story year after year. I don't think they're a threat to the big dogs. Uh, but Tennessee, South Carolina, if he can recruit really well, uh and beat Clemson and some recruits for in-state guys and Florida, if they can get back on track, I think that makes it harder. Um, and then we'll see. Like like Auburn, if they, if Auburn can get good again, that mm-hmm. that'll be harder for Georgia and Alabama. Here's the thing with uh Alabama's success when they were starting the dynasty. They kept a lot of coaches, they kept a lot of the young guys that yep. did a lot of the groundwork. And for like example, and this I'm a shout out Josh Pate. He's the smartest guy in college football. He mentioned he goes. What people don't realize is, let's take Bama losing Kirby Smart for example. On the surface level, for the casual college football fan, that's a huge loss. Kirby was the best defensive coordinator in the country. You knew he was going to be able to recruit wherever he went. He happened to go to Georgia, which is in a uh, recruiting battle mm-hmm. uh, for Alabama. So he was going to take some guys. Obviously, the state of Georgia is the, some of the most talent what people don't realize is the recruiting coordinators that Kirby might have taken with him. It's the behind the scenes guy. So for example, like Georgia's co-defensive coordinator right now, Glenn Schumann is like 36 years old or he's very young. He started, he went to Alabama. He was a graduate assistant under Kirby at Alabama. Mm -hmm. And then he went um, with Kirby. Now, now he's one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. Well, if you don't lose guys like that, then you still recruit the guys and you still coach mm-hmm. the guys, and the standard stays the same at Alabama. So for instance, like when when these guys, when these coaches leave schools, you gotta you gotta look deeper. Who are they taking with them and what was that role at that school? Georgia took a lot from Alabama. Alabama loses coordinators all the time, mm-hmm. but if you lose a Bill O'Brien, he ain't taking anyone with him. No offense to Bill (laughs) O'Brien, but if you lose, we lost Kiffin and replaced them with Sark, not a big drop-off. Who'd we replace Sark with? Big drop-off from Bill O'Brien to Sarkisian, right? Sarkisian took a couple coaches from Alabama, and that's what happens in college football. So I think if like going back to Georgia, let's say Todd Munkin, their offensive coordinator, what if he went to the NFL? Does Georgia promote from within and the standard stays the same there? What if Glenn Schumann goes away? Who does he take with him? By the way, Mel Tucker was also an Alabama staff um, when when he left Alabama, and he took some guys with him too. So it's more than just the one coach you're losing. It's who you're losing and what do they do with them. And the casual college football fan will never realize that because they don't care.
0: No, that's a a very good point you make, Ben. I think the biggest thing that's helped Kirby Smart – is the fact that he he knew when he went to Georgia that he has a, a hotbed of talent in the state of Georgia, and all he has to do is get all that talent to come play for him and not let it leave Atlanta, and he would have a successful team. And that's exactly what he's done with that. But on top of that, Ben, I mean, on top of all the things you said even – I personally don't think we're ever going to see another college football dynasty to the extent that Alabama was. I'm not saying Alabama is never going to win a national championship and Nick Saban's done. I think that is absolutely asinine to say that. I just think it's much harder now with NIL money and stuff like that, because yeah. teams are going to be, because there's going to be teams, like let's say Alabama pays big bucks to a couple guys. There's going to be a team that comes in and says, okay, well, we're going to give you this exact same money. And this player's going to be like, Shoot, why will I want to be the fourth highest paid player on this team when I can be the number one guy like Spencer is in the top 10 out of all out of the 10 highest paid NIL deals in college football? Spencer Rattler is one of the 10 highest and he is definitely not one of the 10 best players. But that just goes to show you guys the guys like that are going to transfer and leave and go to other schools. So I think it's just going to be way harder to do it. And I mean, I think Georgia is definitely going to win some more national championships. I, I'm saying say that. I just don't think the lever compared to Alabama's
1: dynasty. I will say this, everyone who, like, thinks the dynasty might be over, Bama wins Mm -hmm. a national title, like, every three or four, like, three years under Saban. And also, the two losses this year were both, weren't they both on the final play? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they It's not like like they're getting blown out,
0: people. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They barely lost, but I think people think they're worse than they are because of the Texas game, but, I mean, you still won the Texas game. Well, and
1: they've had some other road games the past two years, but, like, it, they're, winning, they're winning national championships every three years under Nick Saban for the most part. And there might be one year where there's a four-year gap, but I think I think it's been every three years.
0: 100%, Ben. Okay, guys, after a brief break, we're back. Um, we're still on the topic of this Alabama game. Ben, before the season started, I think it, I don't even know if it was this season or last season we did our top five coaches in college football. Both me and you picked Brian Kelly. What did Brian Kelly do? He backed us up once again. That was a hell of a coaching job by him, and he completely dropped his nut sack by going for it on that two-point conversion yeah. and winning the game. Brian Kelly backs us up.
1: Yeah, it's the it's also the right call. All momentum mm-hmm. on your side. Um, you know they they obviously had something to play for still in that game. Obviously they're now the front runner to meet Georgia in the SEC championship here in Atlanta. Uh, it's the right call. Um, it was a perfect play call too. Get a, get your quarterback out on the edge. Ryan Kelly wins a lot of football games. He wins a lot of big football games. So um I definitely agree that I still still would have him in my top five. And uh and um I, I you know, I don't know if we have a change in number one, but we we might have a change in number one now.
0: No, absolutely. Um let's keep this thing rolling, Ben. Who's your uh I mean, Ben, it's the field's wide open at this point. Who should be, in your opinion, who would you pick right now to win the Heisman trophy?
1: oh i i'd still probably have cj stroud as the favorite i know he looked really bad against northwestern um but if anyone has eyeballs and saw the weather in that game there was like huge wind gusts Mm and monsoons of rain i think if he has a huge week this week they're playing someone that i think they're playing like who are they playing they're playing uh Indiana this week. Yeah. I mean, he he could easily just come back and throw for five or six touchdowns and take the entire fourth quarter, maybe even second half off. I'd still probably have CJ Stroud. I haven't looked at odds to see if he's still the favorite. I would imagine he still he is. Lives. Yeah. Um, yeah, I
0: don't think Hidden Hooker can win anymore after what happened against Georgia. I mean, he'll he'll have some chances to play some good games here down the stretch. I still don't think he can get the trophy back, unfortunately, because I think it's going to come down to what you do during rivalry week and championship week. I mean, It's really tough to pick. I think that there is a world where that uh, Blake Corum can win this or can win the Heisman. I mean, if they they come out and they beat Ohio State and he runs down their throat, I think it's his to lose. But honestly, I haven't been that impressed with Stroud's numbers and stuff. I mean, I was looking at a lot of numbers yesterday because we had this question coming up. I mean – I'm going to look at it in this scenario. I'm going to look at it as this is like the RG3 year where there's undefeated teams, there's teams playing the national championship and stuff, but there's not really that player on those teams that we feel like took their team to the next level and have the insane stats. I think it should go to Drake May, but it's going to depend on what North Carolina does down the stretch. I mean, if he puts up big numbers in the eight, I mean, if they lose lose one more game, I mean, they're underdogs this week to Wake Forest, so odds are they're probably going to lose two, two more games. I mean, let's say they lose to Wake Forest. They lose in the, in the conference championship game, but if Drake May goes off against Clemson and gives them a good chance to win it, I think he could be the dark horse to end up seizing the trophy.
1: So he's fourth in the country in yards thrown. Mm-hmm. He is first in the country in touchdowns thrown. He's only thrown three interceptions on the air, and he's third in the country in quarterback rating. Those yards and touchdowns are not including his rushing stats. Yep. He's going off this year, and he was a bambo commit which is hurtful now but um yeah i mean i think you know he he probably has to win out to to increase his chances win at wake whoever else they have and then beat clemson um even if he doesn't win it this year i think the momentum for him to be in the race and get recognition yeah. next year is going to be huge for unc he's having a great year he's be, he's starting to get uh recognized by the national media more but you and i have been talking about him for the last three four weeks now
0: yeah me shoot me and ben talked about him we, we we kind of mentioned him a little bit at the beginning, and then once he – I forget who he went off against. We were like, dude, this guy's actually really good. So, yeah, Drake May is that guy. Um, this is one of – these are Ben's observations now. Um, Clemson getting blown out by Notre Dame. Most people hated on Marcus Freeman way too early. Ben, elaborate for us a little bit, please.
1: Well, first of all, it's a huge win. It's a huge home win. I think that's obviously important for Marcus Freeman since he has already mm-hmm. lost a couple home games. Um. The win, I mean, back-to-back weeks, they won at Syracuse. They actually, they blew out Syracuse at Syracuse, Clemson. um, They just beat, they beat North Carolina in North Carolina, and they beat BYU earlier in the season. I just think they're six and three. Like, that's not a bad, maybe it's not a a Notre Dame level season because with Brian Kelly, they were really competing for playoff spots, which they're Mm -hmm. not going to do this year, but. I feel like he's kind of turned it around. I feel like people are still having uh, the Ohio State loss, which they really didn't even play that bad. It's like That was the guy's r- first real head coaching game, since I guess he coached the bowl game last year, but first real head coaching game at Ohio State. I'm not sure there's any coach in the country who's winning that game with a new program. Um, I, I just feel like they're playing much better with a new quarterback. They look yeah. better. They're unbelievable, and I know that – uh, records as in win-loss matter, but I don't have the number off the top of my head, but Notre Dame against top against top 25 teams over the last couple of years, they're like one of the best teams in the country at covering sports yep. in wins and losses. So they don't get blown out very often. They have some big wins on their resume now. I just feel like everyone was, you know, he, uh, he was never in danger to get fired. Let, let's not get crazy yeah. after year one. He also has a really good recruiting class coming in. I think they're building some serious momentum going into next year. Because if you look at their schedule, they're at Navy this week; should, they should win. Boston College, they should win. If he wins at USC, like let's let's be realistic—that's a winnable game for Notre Dame, is it? It not? is. No, one hundred percent. They finished the year nine and three. Possibly win a bowl game to get to ten wins, and the entire narrative on Marcus Freeman. Will be changed now, like they're kind of under the radar now, right now. No one's really talking about them. They're putting to get their stacking a lot of good wins. Like I said, back to back at Syracuse and then home against Clemson. You add on at USC to finish the year. And Marcus Freeman has some serious momentum going into next season.
0: Yeah, I think he's did a great job, you know, of creating that turnover with that block punt. And they never looked back after that. This is a Notre Dame team where they get up and they can just run the football with you and stay on game script pretty pretty tough to beat and that says a lot about the coaching they have there um ben billy napier in his first year at florida i mean it isn't as bad as some people think it is i mean his only yeah. losses were to ranked kentucky at tennessee versus lsu and at uga all those teams are are um are really good teams now. and Except good kentucky. teams what do you how do you think about how do you feel about this team's outlook
1: yeah i mean listen it's i think you'd you'd like to be Obviously, Florida fans, uh, the unrealistic ones, would like to always be competing for SEC East titles. But in a guy where his first year, where they had some roster turnover, um, I mean, they just dismissed, for God's sake, they just dismissed their best defensive end, Brenton Cox, from the team. Mm -hmm. Listen, they beat Utah week one. That's a great win. They just won at a and I know that A&M is not a great team, but winning in Kyle Field in that situation, when you win 41-24, that's a great win. Like you just mentioned, their losses. Kentucky, week two, Kentucky was a great team. Kentucky started the year what, 4-5-0 and or something like that. At Tennessee, that's one of the best losses in the country. LSU, which was only three weeks ago, LSU, is complete. that pretty much turned around LSU season. LSU's on fire now. Mm-hmm. And then at Georgia, there aren't bad losses for Billy Napier. Plus, Anthony Richardson, who I don't always give a ton of credit to, his last three weeks, turnovers are completely weighed down. Yards are way up. Touchdowns are up. And they're winning football games. So the rest of their schedule, they're currently, Florida's currently five and four. Yeah. They play South Carolina in the swamp. Let's call that six and four. At Vanderbilt, let's call it seven and four. At Florida State, let's call it a loss. Okay. Seven and five. He's making a bowl game. Jimbo Fisher's not. Is Jimbo Fisher making a bowl game? What's no A&M's shot. Like? They AM's to three and six. So yeah,
0: they still have to play LSU, I know for a fact. So
1: Florida fans, it gets worse than a seven and five, possibly eight and five, if you win your bowl game first season. I just don't think he's got to recruit. He's got to step up the recruiting and he's got to get better. But I do think Anthony Richardson, I think it's almost a foregone conclusion. He's coming back next season. Let's say he gets better. Is he not a Heisman Trophy candidate next year? Maybe Dark Horse, if you really don't believe in mm-hmm. him? like
0: I think, I, I think, I think we I think, are almost a year too soon on Anthony Richardson. Like, remember how that we both said he has everything? Can he put it together? He's kind of started to put it together. And, I mean, we completely wrote him off. I because think he's was... had
1: time with Billy Napier. They're, I think they're on the same page now. You get him a whole offseason together, That we could see some big things from him next year.
0: No, 100%, Ben. I mean, I think they really figured it out. I think Billy Napier, I agree with you, man. Like, he's really done a great job. And this is a season that Florida could have completely bailed on, you know, after some lackluster performances, but they haven't. They're still out there playing big. So, got to love to see that for them. Um, now that we've got to the end of the podcast, guys, gotten through all our observations, it's time now. Ben, the, tonight, probably in, I guess, like two hours, they'll unveil for us the new college football Final Four. Who's your Final Four, one through four?
1: Yeah, it's got to be Georgia one um yep there was one voter who somehow had ohio state number one still i i uh they released who it was it was some iowa person i i guess yeah that guy that, that guy's
0: notorious for always having a bad ballot
1: oh well i didn't know that it's got to be Georgia one it's got to be ohio state two i think those are the two easiest ones mm-hmm. um michigan should be three um the two teams in front of them lost tennessee and clemson and then after that, I, I think you put TCU there because they're still undefeated. They still have the zero in the loss column, knowing um, I think most people in the country kind of do believe TCU might be a little fraudish. They, they've they they've won some games where the quarterback's been knocked out this year. Now, I know that Alabama's had that kind of luck in, in, uh, in uh, big games in the past, but TCU certainly had it multiple times this season. And then you look at TCU's schedule, they're at Texas this week, where they're a touchdown dog, at Baylor next week, where they're going to be probably a field goal dog. Then you finish up with Iowa State, which should be winnable. But if you lose the two before that, nothing, you know, you're sliding at that point. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. Um, I don't think Tennessee will fall much further. I think Tennessee will probably be uh, right after um, TCU. I think Oregon yep. will be right after that. Um, I think Tennessee's got uh, a much better chance than TCU and Oregon to uh, make the college football playoff than, uh, or than, yeah, than TCU and Oregon. I think Tennessee's got a better chance.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree with all those, Ben. I have the exact same order as you. Um,
1: By the way, Heisman, Bo Nix should start to get some votes, don't you think?
0: Yeah, Bo Nix is getting some – he's got a lot of momentum. I think he's like fourth in the odds now. So it's Bo playing Nicks, really well. Yeah, it's picking up for him now. Um, Ben, before we get out of here, what's your final, final, what was, your, final four? What was, your, what was have, your top four? Exact same as you,
1: same thing with yeah. Tennessee
0: at five. Give me your final, final four. What will it be?
1: Um, I think it's going to be Georgia one, because I don't see them losing, um, mm-hmm. the regular season. I don't think LSU will, will pick them off in Atlanta. Um, so I think Georgia one, I think Ohio state two because I think Ohio state is going to beat Michigan. But let's just say the winner of the of that rivalry game will be two. I think Tennessee slides into three because I think okay. you don't want the rematch of uh, Georgia, Tennessee in the semifinal. And then I think you have um, I think if Michigan loses a close game, I don't see how they're not four. Um, I know I, I I understand that they probably don't have a great win on their resume. Their best win might be going away State. if
0: they win. It'll Illinois. be between Penn State and Illinois.
1: Yeah, um, but I think Michigan has dominated who's in front of them for for almost this entire season. But it's got to be close. So if Michigan gets blown out of that game, I think you have the winner of the uh, Pac-12 who gets that fourth spot. So I think you could, I think you could really have a couple teams that um, that Georgia's already beaten in there. And what's going to be funny is. You know, in years past, I think you ask any fan in the country, mm-hmm. specifically Georgia fans, and, and they will always tell you that it's really hard to beat someone twice. And then if they get Oregon as the four team, like they're going to be as confident as can be and say, well, we beat them 49-3 before. You won't even hear that it's hard to beat someone twice. So I think that'll be kind of a funny narrative uh, that they'll just spin how they really feel. But uh, I don't think Oregon can beat Georgia regardless. I, I would imagine it's not 49-3 to though.
0: Yeah, I'd probably take Oregon on the spread because it's probably going to be in the 20s for that game. But um, Ben, I'm going to go Georgia at one, Ohio State two, Tennessee three. And I'm going with Oregon at number four. Yeah. They cannot reward Michigan for that out of conference schedule that they played. They cannot do it. And if they do it, it is an absolute joke. If you're gonna have two one-loss teams, one of them that's a conference champion, and one of them that their one losses to the number one team in the nation, their first game with a new head coach. They did get embarrassed. But look, they had the balls to go out and schedule as a Pac-12 team, an SEC team to play. In their, in their state, in a stadium, basically play them at home, first game of the season. The fact they have the balls do that, you have to reward Oregon. And if you don't, college football is the most crooked sport possible. I think it's 150% it has to be Oregon as the last team.
1: Yeah, the only my only worry with Oregon is uh, their schedule. They play Utah at home. I know that Utah is not a great hmm. road team versus home team, home team, but that's a game that's going to be very tough. Utah is very yep. physical. And you got to go at Oregon State in the Civil War game. And it, I would imagine they still call it the Civil War rivalry. No, I bet that's not, not easy. Corvallis is very hard place to play yeah. a football game. Um So I think Oregon, there's, there's more of a possibility that they slope up versus whoever wins the Pac-12. That's kind of why I just mm-hmm. said the Pac-12. Um, Because USC, let me pull it up. USC's got Colorado at UCLA and then home against Notre Dame. So... I think they got two games that are pretty hard left. So I think the winner of the USC-UCLA game can really slide in at the last second.
0: Yeah, I think it's – I think where would you say that game was at? It's at UCLA, right?
1: U, USC plays at UCLA.
0: Yeah, see, I feel like UCLA is going to win that one. I think that Oregon is a better team than UCLA is. Ultimately, that would be interesting. Chip Kelly against his old squad. Yeah, I'm going to – I still think Oregon can get it done. I think yeah. they'll beat Utah for sure.
1: Shout out Dan Lanning. Yeah. First year head coach, new quarterback that he obviously didn't recruit, but he does know. Um, uh, or maybe did he recruit him to the tri- I thought Bo did Bo Nix commit to Oregon before the head coach?
0: No, he went there once the head coach because the offensive coordinator is the same guy that recruited him to Auburn. Got it. So that makes sense then. Yep. All right, guys. That's all we got for y'all today. On Thursday, we'll be back with Picks Pod, NFL, and college football. Me and Ben had a great week. Ben didn't lose a bet. So we'll get the full recap and everything on that one. Ben, it's been a pleasure as always, my friend.
1: As always. How'd you feel about the Phillies losing a World Series?
0: Felt great to see them go down, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know you were happy about it, too. Oh, yeah. Well, all right, guys. We appreciate who mm-hmm. tuned in, and we'll talk to you all again soon.